I actually went through a lot of anxiety back in 2016 to 2017, and I almost stopped my business because it was overwhelming. This was right after the U.S. election, so it was just, it was ugly. It was an ugly place online. You're listening to Build a Better Wellness Biz. I'm your host, Jeremy Enns. In this episode, I'm talking with Andrea Jones, a social media strategist and host of the Savvy Social podcast, to talk about, you guessed it, all things social media. And let me tell you right now, Andrea gives us a masterclass on the topic, including what to do when you're just starting out. For the first six months, you want to focus on posting that balance of content. Um, And typically they're going to fall into one of five categories. How to optimize your profile to get conversions. So we're going to use what I call the three W's and it's what do you sell? Who is it for? And why does it matter? And that why does it matter is key. What type of content is working right now? Right now, something that's working really well are what I call impact statements. Things that if someone glances at your account, they can instantly go, oh yeah, I agree with that, or no, that has nothing to do with me. You want them to have a guttural response to your message. How much time to spend on social media growth strategies? You're spending about, let's say, 15, 20 minutes, 30 minutes a day on growing your audience. And I want you to focus on people who've never heard of you before. And you can do this in a number of ways. How to balance design with messaging. Every time we try to just have the most gorgeously planned out feed, our engagement just tanks. We're spending way too much time on the look of it and not enough time on, are we actually connecting here with the right people? And which platforms Andrea is most excited about right now? Okay, so there's two. Almost kind of feels like when Facebook started and people were really excited about it. If you're in the wellness space, there's a lot of opportunity there. Seriously, Andrea shares pretty much the entire roadmap for using social media effectively for your business. And I personally walked away with a ton of notes and a clear sense of direction on how to use social media in my own. But while the strategy aspect is one of the big challenges when it comes to social media, there are mindset challenges these platforms present as well. As you heard, The overwhelm and anxiety caused by spending so much time immersed in the world of social media almost derailed Andrea's business entirely. Fortunately, she pulled through. And in this episode, she shares some of the tools, practices, and resources she found along the way that can help us manage our own often conflicted feelings about social media. I wanted to start our conversation off with a hyper-practical example. So I asked Andrea to imagine that she was a nutritionist who specialized in working with moms in their 30s. If she was ready to get serious about social media, where would she start? So one of the first things that I would do is some market research on those moms who need the services. Um, I think sometimes we kind of jump right in to um, assuming what their challenges are. And so I would start conversations first before telling them about what I do and what my services are. And sometimes that may mean doing a little bit of research. Uh, Some of my favorite places to do some research are Facebook groups um, or any online communities. 
So if you're just getting started, try to find groups with similar interests and see what the common challenges are. Um, Oftentimes, that can be a really great jumping off point for making sure that the posts that you're sharing on social media are speaking to those common problems in the language uh, how your person speaks to them. So for example, with the nutritionist um, space, you may be talking about the value of eating certain foods and how your body will process things a certain certain way and that sort of thing. But honestly, if you're talking to moms in their thirties, they probably just want to like go through a whole day without feeling tired. Those are the kind of messages that you want to kind of pick up on social media so that you can speak their language without speaking kind of like the technical side of what you do. So once you've done this initial research and, you know, this is obviously something that we all know we should do every, you hear it from any business coach, (laughs) probably every single person who you interact with in regards to your online business says the first step is to do your research. And most of us skip it the first time, but it is necessary in so many different ways. And everything is, is so much easier when you do that. So assuming you've done that and you're really clear on who your audience is and what some of their challenges are, then what would that first, maybe like six months of starting to actually put content out look like? Yeah. So when you start on social media, you do want to focus on one platform first. Um, This way you can get really good at that one platform and grow from there. So by platform, I mean things like Facebook or Instagram or Twitter or LinkedIn or Pinterest. You're going to choose one. Um, And right now at the time of recording this, I would say Instagram is a really great platform to start for wellness businesses in 2020. It's a great platform because it's easy to create content and post, and it's easy to connect with your potential audience member or customer. So when you're going to create your plan for social media, you want to make sure that you have a balance of content that's going out. And by content, I mean the actual things that you're posting on social media. So you want to make sure that, yes, you're talking about your services, but you're also engaging your audience and communicating with them. So social media often gets treated like a billboard or a television ad or radio ad, and it's not that at all. It's it's an opportunity to communicate and connect. So you want to, yes, talk about your services and what you offer, but also bring people into the conversation by asking questions, sharing impact, insightful information, and really positioning yourself as the go-to person with the challenges that your audience may be experiencing. Um, So for the first six months, you want to focus on posting that balance of content. Um, And typically, they're going to fall into one of five categories. The first category is promotional content. So you're talking about your offers. The second category is educational content. So you're teaching something. And as a nutritionist, for example, you're going to showcase your expertise, maybe share a post about like what is a healthy fat or something like that. Your third content category is going to be the community style post. So maybe you're sharing something from Mind Body Green or something like that. The fourth category is entertainment. So this is think of this like the reality TV style of social media. So you're going to be sharing behind the scenes, share your own process, um, how do you create meal plans, those sorts of things. And then your fifth category is going to be engagement content. And the That category is specifically designed to start and encourage conversations amongst your audience. So for the first six months, you're really focusing on those content pieces and seeing what works. And you can switch out the different content pieces depending on what works best with your audience from there. Okay. And so I think with some of those 
in particular, it's really hard for people to think like, well, I don't have anything to share, which, you know, is not true because you are an expert in your field. But I think translating it into bite size, you could probably write a whole paper on one topic or maybe you have a long blog post. But, you know, getting it down to, you know, the Twitter character limit or an Instagram caption, there are some long Instagram captions out there. Um, but what do you recommend for people to actually, you know, translate their knowledge, which they have so much of, into a really bite sized piece of content that actually is, is useful to people? Yeah, and I and I'm glad that you mentioned things like blog posts um, or even podcasts like this one because oftentimes you're you're sharing your expertise in a long form manner. So if you already have that as a part of your strategy, from there you're mining your content for smaller bite sized pieces, and you do want them to be consumable. So kind of distilling it down into a shorter concept, a shorter like punchier idea, is definitely better. That can be challenging depending on your niche and your context. Um, So it may be an exercise for you. I like to use the working out analogy oftentimes, especially with my wellness businesses, because you guys get it. Let's say I want to start lifting weights. I'm not a weightlifter at all. So I would probably be starting at what, like 10 pounds (laughs) and then work my way up to like higher weight limits. So when you're starting out on social media, it may be just like a 10 pound light version of what you're aiming for. And you will get to that hundred pound weight version of that post eventually, but it's going to take some practice. Um, So the first few times you do it, you may not get through all of those different content types and that's okay. You're kind of working yourself up to it. Yeah, I think... What you mentioned there, it really, I think I've heard you talk about this before, is how so much of social media and, I mean, so much of life is about building healthy habits. And I'm curious about what the way to start out in social media, which for a lot of people, they don't want to spend time on that. It is something that they, you know, might not have fun doing or just have the idea and the self-talk that like social media is, you know, vapid and surface level. I don't want to do that. I just want to go deep. Like, how do you start building that habit and start to see, you know, results and get that engagement going? Yeah. So if you're managing your social media yourself, I want you to try to spend an hour a week just on the content creation side. So writing your social media posts, you know, maybe taking photography or styling graphics. And why I really want you to limit to an hour is because like you said, we have a lot going on in building our business. Um, And sometimes when we spend more than that, we may be um, taking time away from other areas of our business. And also we may feel like we're not going to see a return on that time investment. So for business owners who are doing it themselves, an hour a week. Now you can spend more time than that, but you're going to have to outsource something else. Okay. So you can spend more time on social, but you're going to have to outsource something else. Um, It can feel vapid. I relate this to like taking photography for your website. It feels odd sometimes to hire a photographer and like plaster your own face on your website. But the reason we do that is because it's a powerful connection with our potential customers. They want to feel like they know you and like you and trust you enough to give you money in exchange for what you offer. So the same thing applies to social media. When you're kind of approaching that strategy, it kind of feels weird sometimes to talk about yourself 
It feels weird sometimes to post pictures of yourself, but it's part of the process. It may even feel weird sometimes to like pre-plan out like, okay, what am I going to say on social media next Friday, right? Um, it may feel a little bit odd, but it's it's kind of part of being a business owner, especially, you know, 2020 in the year that we're in. Um, so embrace it. If you don't like it, you can always outsource it. If you do like it, you can spend more time there and outsource something else. Andrea mentioned that the point of social media is to help get our potential clients and customers to know, like, and trust us. This is something that I talk a lot about when it comes to what I call flagship content, like podcasting, blogging, or YouTube. But for some reason, I'd never thought about social media in the same terms. I've tried to develop the social media habit for myself and my businesses many times, but never felt clear on what exactly the purpose was or how it was meant to translate into more clients or customers. Thinking about it as just another tool to help build the know, like, and trust factor, however, makes approaching social media feel a whole lot more straightforward and natural for me. Andrea also talked about spending a set amount of time each week batching your content creation. For me, I know that batching and scheduling is essential for me to create pretty much anything, whether it's this podcast, blog posts, or social media. But I know that there are a lot of people who like the spontaneity of posting on the fly, and who might even rebel against the structured approach to social media that Andrea is recommending. I wanted to know if both approaches are valid, or if she sees more success with one versus the other. So for those people who uh, like to post on the fly, typically they don't need a lot of my advice because they feel that inspiration and they feel inspired to go. So if that's you, go for it. I think most of us, we open Instagram and we go, I don't even know what to say right now. (laughs) That's where I'm at for sure. Um, So as you're approaching your, your strategy, it is absolutely easier to batch your content and give your brain that time to focus on one thing and then move on to the next. It's task switching to have to think about creating those content pieces every single day. And it takes more time to do that. It's more time out of your week. And so if you especially have a pillar piece of content like a podcast or a blog or a YouTube channel, A lot of what you can do on social media is repurposing some of that amazing content you've already built up, and that can cut down on that time quite a bit, but you still want to give yourself that that designated social media time every week. I like to do it on Fridays for the following week. And so that's kind of taking care of the posting side of things where you've got that one hour set aside to create and schedule, and then you're good to go for the next week. But I think a lot of people have this idea of social media as this magical tool that we have at our disposal where it's supposed to work that you just post up and all of a sudden you get leads and customers and all these things just start coming back to you. And obviously I I talk with a lot of podcasters and I think almost every single time when I get on a consulting call with a podcaster um, and asking, so what are you currently doing to promote your show? And we're on the call because they're not getting results from their marketing. And they say, well, well, I post on social media every time I release a new episode. And that just doesn't work. There's more than uh, just this passive side of just posting. Uh, There's also this legwork that you need to put into it with connecting with other people, really, especially at the start. So I'm curious how you approach that kind of outreach and connection and networking side of things and maybe how much time you should spend on that as well. Yeah, absolutely. And that's why I want you to limit yourself to the hour just on posting, because I want you to spend another one to two hours in that week 
networking engaging. So either the same or more time spent building your audience, because that is actually the key to social media. You need to have a consistent habit of attracting new people to your social media accounts, especially as podcasters or content creators. Oftentimes, if someone discovers you and they like you, they're going to consume your content. Your social media posts may be a small reminder to them, but they know you exist. They're going to find you and enjoy your content. Really, if you reframe your brain around thinking of your social media content is for new people, people who have not heard of you before, that will help you structure the content. And then it will also help for those new people you're bringing in. So you're spending about, let's say 15, 20 minutes, 30 minutes a day on growing your audience. And I want you to focus on people who've never heard of you before. And you can do this in a number of ways. Oftentimes looking at parallel industries is great or even direct competitors. So an example I like to use is yoga with Adrian. I love her YouTube channel. If I have to do an at-home yoga session, I'm definitely going to her channel. She does not have a podcast though. So if you have a podcast and you have the same audience as her, try going and engaging with her community, leaving thoughtful comments, becoming a participant, and you'll be surprised by how many people will recognize that and come over to your channel as well. Because we can have a Yoga with Adrian YouTube subscription and we can subscribe to your podcast at the same time. So typically that's a really great way to branch out and create new relationships. You also can focus in on other things like hashtags, for instance, especially on a platform like Instagram. So you use the nutritionist example previously. There's lots of hashtags around being a mom. And so you can look at hashtags like mom of two or boy mom, girl mom. There's lots of hashtags out there of people self-identifying as I'm a mom and this is what I'm doing. You can also look at different things like location. You can look at um, other people's followers. There's so many ways to do this. So start there branching out. Now, what you also want to do is give before you get. So oftentimes on social media, we're expecting people to discover us and become like raving fans, like the the best fans ever. Like tomorrow. (laughs) Yeah. Like (laughs) like 100 people are going to just become your best fans ever tomorrow. But oftentimes it's more like a dating relationship. It's more like you meet someone, you get to know them a little bit, and the relationship progresses and deepens from there. So think about your social media that way. Let's say you liked someone's image in a hashtag. That's just a first step. That's almost like making eye contact at a Starbucks with someone, right? So you want to take that step and have it progress naturally. Not everyone's going to turn into a raving fan. In fact, most people won't. But what you want to do is make the eye contact, get the attention of someone who could potentially become a fan, especially as a new person just starting out. This is such a fantastic way to build an audience. I want to circle back on a couple of things Andrea mentioned and double click on them. The first is how after talking previously about scheduling time for content creation and posting, She then said that she also wanted us to spend 15 to 30 minutes a day growing our audiences, basically implying that posting content alone will not grow your audience. Whoa. The second thing I wanted to highlight was how she talked about hashtags. Did you notice that while she continued with our example of a nutritionist looking to grow her audience, the first hashtags that she went to had nothing at all to do with food or nutrition. Instead, the hashtags were aimed at getting her content in front of her target audience 
in places they were already looking. This is the same strategy I teach when helping people get booked as podcast guests. I call it looking for parallel or complementary content to yours. But again, for some reason, I'd never thought about it in terms of social media. Andrea has mentioned that a lot of our social content should be aimed at people who might not be all that familiar with us yet. They're early in the dating phase of the relationship, and our job is to woo them and win them over. I was curious if there were any types of content that she's found to work really well for catching the attention of people scrolling past our content and getting them curious enough to click through to our profiles and find out more about what it is we do. Right now, something that's working really well are what I call impact statements. So there are things that if someone glances at your account, they can instantly go, oh yeah, I agree with that, or no, that has nothing to do with me. And sometimes it doesn't have to do with your job. And that's why I think the research piece is important. So earlier we mentioned this nutritionist, she found out moms want to get through the day without being completely exhausted. So that's what your impact statement's going to be. It's going to be like, raise your hand if you want to just get through a day without being exhausted. You'll probably really connect with the right mom there. And yes, nutrition is the solution, but really focusing in on the pain points that your people are having is a very powerful way to connect with someone. So what you want your kind of outreach strategies to do is if, if you're liking and commenting and following all these amazing people, they're hopping over to your profile to check you out. You want them to have a guttural response to your message. You want them to go, oh, I'm following this person because they totally get it. Or, oh, this is not for me at all. I don't get it. I don't relate. So you want them to have that moment of decisiveness so that you can become a part of their feed and their daily life. And then now that you're in their feed, you can speak to them through the other posts that you're sharing. They can get to know you and they can move along down the social media sales funnel. Yeah. So if the goal is to get people back to your profile, which is obviously in most platforms necessary for them to follow you, what should a you know solid profile have on there that is going to you know clearly convey who you are, what you're about? Yeah. Yeah. So we're going to use what I call the three W's and it's what do you sell? Who is it for? And why does it matter? And that why does it matter is key, right? So if we're talking about the nutritionist, what does she sell? You want it to say nutritionist somewhere. You don't want to have a profile that just speaks to the problem, but doesn't really tell what you do. So what do you sell? Nutritionist, moms in their thirties. And why does it matter? I want to get through the day without being exhausted. If you can put those in your profile, you're really speaking to the right people. Um, And that why does it matter is a transformative phrase. So it's something that speaks to either how they're feeling now or how they will feel after your services or your products. Okay, so really speak to the transformation and the feelings of it all, because honestly, we, we make decisions based on how we feel about something. Back to the, uh, even the nutritionist example. So you could say, eat right and work out and you'll live a healthy life. We all know that, right? But when yeah. you see marketing messages, it's like 10 pounds in 10 days. Why, <laughs> why does that work? Why does it work? It's because it speaks to that need and that feeling that we have. So I'm not saying you have to be cheesy like that, but... I want you to think about how your work transforms. And if you can put that in your messaging right in the bio or the about section of your profile, that will really help encourage people to follow you. You talked a little bit before about how social media is just one part of your overall funnel, basically. So I'm curious what other 
pieces people need to have in place that is actually going to make the social media get results because, you know, just having a social media following, there are so many people out there who have tens of hundreds of thousands of followers and can't get an ROI on it. So I'm curious, like what some of the other pieces maybe behind the scenes are that people should have in place before they can really start to expect to see results. Yeah. And, you know, oftentimes the ROI question, it can come from this, which I'll talk about in a second, but it also can come from attracting the wrong people. And I see this happen a lot with people in the um, fitness space. So, you know, if you've got like a gorgeous body, there may be a bunch of people following you who just like looking. That's fine. They may never convert though. So just keep that in mind that you want to make sure your message is attracting the right person. But also having steps along the way that helps people towards making a financial decision to work with you. And it's what I call the next steps. So we typically know our last step. As a nutritionist, for example, you want people to hire you for your services. But sometimes we forget that there's decisions along the way that take people closer and closer to hiring your services. This is often referred to as a sales funnel. I want you to just think about it as the next step. So what's one step closer? Sometimes that's sending you a direct message. Sometimes it's looking at your website. Sometimes it's hopping on a consultation call. Sometimes it's downloading a free offer. It could be whatever you want it to look like, but you do want to have steps. I'll use the dating analogy again because it works very well for this situation. Some people, if you see your person, you could go, yep, they're the one. I'm going to stop looking. I found it. That's it. But typically there's like processes along the way. Like how much do I like this person? I'm going to go on a few dates maybe meet their parents, you know, maybe stay the night. Like you want to have steps along the way to figure out how much you like that person. So same thing for your services or your products, figure out some steps along the way that can help people make a decision. If you're a service-based business, the easiest place to start is a free consultation call because you can really ask the questions and help them make a decision. Um, If you have products and things like that, education along the way is typically a very good resource. Yeah, I love what you talk about there with for service-based businesses. And, and obviously sales doesn't come naturally to everyone. And it hasn't always for me until more recently where I got a script um, by one of my coaches. And I was like, oh, this is all I have to do. This is fun. And we'll definitely have uh, somebody who is, specializes in sales uh, coming up on the podcast at some point. But I've noticed that I'm confident now that if I can get someone on a call I can convert them into clients pretty quickly at a much higher rate than going through, you know, an email sequence or or just through social media. So I think that, you know, pointing people there, if you feel comfortable with sales, at least that's really what you want to be doing. Absolutely. And giving them an opportunity to take a next step, because sometimes on social media, it's hard to differentiate those people who are just there and being cheerleaders and those people who are actually interested in making a buying decision with you. So yeah, give them some way to indicate that. And you can always follow up. Now you know that they're interested. You can maybe cater some content towards them. Uh, But yeah, that next step is is key as, as you found out. So you talked before about the importance of both giving and asking. And I know that one of the things I see, this is almost the default setting for people, I think, on when they're interacting with social media and is the reason why so many people don't get results is because every single post is an ask. And so you've talked about before how that is important to have a balance. Um, I'm curious what the ratio is between how many gives for every ask, if you have a kind of a number in mind. Yeah. So it does vary depending on the industry, but I've found that for most of us in the wellness space, we want to give four times and ask on the fifth. 
Okay, so we have four opportunities to share expertise, to invite conversation, to talk about the community and what's happening, and then ask for something. And even if you're asking for the next step, or if you're asking for someone to check out a podcast episode, or a YouTube, that's still an ask, right? Yeah. So you want to have that balance, but also take a look at what works for your business as well. Because it does vary. I have a client who is a product in the think like CrossFit fitness category. We promote constantly because that's all the audience wants to see. The other posts don't even really get as much engagement. They just want to talk about the product because they really like it. They're really excited about it. Um, so even in that case, it's a huge exception. We've tried questions. We've tried all sorts of things. They don't work. People just want to talk about the product. So also keep your industry in mind as well and what your audience wants. So I know you have a background in copywriting and I feel like social media has these two parts to it, which are messaging and design. And a lot of people go heavy on one or the other, and there's a balance to be found here. So I'm curious about what your thoughts are on prioritizing one over the other, which is more important if either, and, and how you kind of think about that with the work that you do. I'm going to say messaging is more important, but that's just because that's, that's what uh, converts and that's what I've seen work the best. I used to work in the um, like fashion beauty space and I used to have quite a few clients there. And while people like looking at pretty things and that's great, what actually converts and helps make money is the actual messaging. You have to make sure that you fully understand who you're talking to, what their problems are, what their challenges are, and then you can add something beautiful to kind of top it off. Um, there is that balance, though. Um, I will say that, you know, as human beings, we're naturally attracted to something that looks great, right? So you want to have that in some capacity, maybe just like a clean design or something like that. But at the end of the day, it's the message, it's the words, it's how you can connect with people that really makes the difference. Yeah. How do you uh, think about, we've been talking about nutrition, I see this all the time there, uh, a lot of fitness. The view of the feed is so highly prized and uh, guarded by a lot of people. And I have fallen to this kind of category as, as well of people who like, I, I always want the, the feed to look nice for it to be cohesive when somebody goes there. And for me, this has just completely stopped me posting because I, I would post something, but I'm like, ah, it doesn't fit in with the feed. So I'm just not going to post it, which I know that's held me back. Do you see that with a lot of other people where their kind of like commitment to keeping the feed pretty is actually undermining their efforts? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And there's so many people who talk about this, like I, I talked about attracting the right person to your profile. You want them to convert into a follower. And so we put a heavy emphasis on the feed. But the feed, like someone actually looking at your profile, that's only new potential people. So keep that in mind. Your current followers, they don't care what your feed looks like. They're already following you. And they're seeing your posts in their feed, not your profile. Okay. And I tested this too. And I have a couple of clients who give pushback on this, but every time we try to just have the most gorgeously planned out feed, our engagement just tanks. We're spending way too much time on the look of it and not enough time on, are we actually connecting here with the right people? 
Um, so that's my kind of little soapbox about the, <laughs> about the aesthetics of it all. You can still have it be branded and have everything look nice, but the messaging is definitely the most important part. Um, and like you said, it can stop you in your tracks from posting something because it may mess up your pattern that you have on your profile. I'd rather have you connect with the right person than get stuck on posting because it doesn't look exactly how you want it to look. So you've talked about uh, managing your time when it comes to social media and not going overboard, especially not off the bat. Everything to do with social media, there is a lot of mindset issues that can come into play. Comparison game, not getting the engagement that you're hoping for, all these different things like social media can become toxic. And so I'm curious about what your experience is as someone who works in social media, what strategies you found to maintain your sanity while still using the tool to get results. Yeah. And it's been tough. I mean, in the world that we live now, there's cancel culture, there's movements online, there's people being just nasty and angry in the comment sections. And so it can be very challenging as a leader and as a business person to put yourself out there and brace yourself for the feedback sometimes. Um, Or even just scrolling through the feed can feel like an entire journey. So I actually went through a lot of anxiety back in 2016 to 2017. And I almost stopped my business because it was overwhelming. This was right after the US election. Most of my clients are in the US. And so it was just, it was ugly. It was an ugly place online. But what I, I found a few things that really helped me manage it. And it's something that I really encourage a lot of business owners to take a look at because social media is designed to be addictive and it's designed to keep you on it. So you kind of have to manage and moderate yourself. Um, so the first thing that helped me was to turn off all notifications, turn them off. You don't need them. Now, when I first did this, I did miss some things because I forgot to check certain places, right? That's okay. I can let that go. But I want you to be intentional about checking in and not having it check you, right? So like having a notification pop up while you're in the middle of a sales call or you know, you're writing an important email or you're recording your podcast, you shouldn't be interrupted by whatever happens on Instagram or Facebook or whatever the case may be. So turn all of the notifications off. I promise it'll be okay. Uh, then what I did is I used Asana for task management. So I set myself a little task in Asana. You can write it in your to-do list that says, check Instagram. (laughs) So it may seem a little counterintuitive, but I check in once a day or more often most times to make sure that I'm not missing any messages or things like that. Um, So turn off notifications, set yourself up for success by getting yourself a to-do list. Next up, I actually started doing some mindfulness and meditation You can just have empty, non-techie time. It doesn't have to be structured. But I find that we spend so much time looking at computers, looking at our devices, that we just need to give our brains a little bit of a break. Even like watching TV can feel like overload sometimes. So what you want to do is give yourself that white space. I like to meditate. You can do whatever you'd like. And that can really help you appreciate the technology instead of resenting it. And so those two things are usually key for business owners. We pretty much have to use social media these days. It's a great tool to connect with our audience, but it doesn't have to control your life. The negative and sometimes even harmful effect of social media is something we covered in depth back in episode three, where I chatted with Abel James about how technology is shaping wellness businesses, both for better 
And for worse, if you haven't yet listened to that episode, I highly recommend checking it out. While it might feel like we need social media to run and grow our businesses, if you're feeling that, I'd like to challenge you to take a step back and examine if that's really the case. I know a ton of business owners, including myself, who have built multi six-figure businesses virtually without social media. In my experience, especially when we're starting out, tools like social media are often a way for us to avoid the uncomfortable but more effective work of mining our existing network, starting one-to-one conversations with potential clients, and putting ourselves out there in a way that risks rejection. This is a topic we're going to get into a lot more on an upcoming episode with Michelle Leota about how to make more money in your business. That said, when your goal is not just making money, but building an audience, social media, like Andrea mentioned, can be a fantastic tool for nurturing that relationship with them. But as she shared, we need to be careful with it. Andrea has actually created an amazing free resource of social media-specific meditations called Social Media Unwind. I'll let her share the details. You can find them by searching for Social Media Unwind or going to socialmediaunwind.com. And the first uh, meditation is actually very helpful to reset your intentions and your feelings around social media. So really examine what is social media? What does it mean for you? What place does it have in your life? Because sometimes we just let it like run without deciding how we want to use it and how we want to feel about it. So that first meditation is a really good place to start. It's five minutes short, but it can really help you get a better sense of how you want to use social media in your life and in your business. You mentioned a little bit uh, about cancel culture and a lot of the pitfalls that are out there in social media today. And you talked about wanting to quit back after the previous U.S. election. Now we're coming up to another one. And I would say the situation has not improved and has probably gotten worse. Uh, I'm curious what some of the maybe pitfalls are for people in the wellness space, especially this might not be related to politics, but in the wellness space, there is a lot of controversy. There are, you know, snake oil salesmen, there are conspiracy theorists, and it's hard to kind of suss out what's true and what's not. So I'm curious for people in the wellness space, like what is our responsibility as business owners on social media? How should we be conducting ourselves, I guess? Yeah. And you know, I've been getting this question often because of the recent uh, Black Lives Matter civil rights movement in the US. And it is a challenge. And you first have to kind of figure out where you personally stand and where your business values are. Because I think those people who aren't able to figure out where they are, are also struggling how to show up. But at the same time, you have to be open to listening to the feedback of your audience and really getting in touch with what matters to them. Uh, Because we're all growing and learning and evolving. Nobody has it perfect. Trust me, nobody does. Uh, But being able to show up as a leader, part of that is being able to say, publicly on social media, I messed up or I don't know, and I'm learning. And so I think that is a challenge. Um, the, the mindset piece will help too with some of the negativity. Um, if you have a larger company, getting your team to help out as well is key to help manage a lot of the feedback and then also getting ahead of it. So we know that this election is coming up. 
How do you want to look on social media? How do you want to present yourself? What messages do you want your audience to get from you? How involved do you want to be? Me personally, I rarely post anything political or controversial on my personal accounts. Just my personal choice. Some of my clients are in the thick of it, in the middle of it all, and they love it. And and their audience is really grateful for that. So you have to kind of figure out what works best for you, but also recognize that as a leader, we have to be okay with falling on our face sometimes. That's just Mm -hmm. part and parcel with what we do. I love what Andrea said about the people who are struggling are the ones who don't know where they stand. If you've listened to this podcast for more than a few episodes, you know that I strongly believe that our personal values need to be reflected in how we show up in and operate our businesses. And that by allowing those values to show through, we're only going to attract more like-minded people. Getting back to the practical, actionable side of social media strategies, I was curious what platforms Andrea is currently seeing that are underrated or underutilized by wellness entrepreneurs. Okay, so there's two. First up is LinkedIn. I am seeing a resurgence on LinkedIn that's quite beautiful. Almost kind of feels like when Facebook started and people were really excited about it. If you're in the wellness space, there's a lot of opportunity there because again, you're just connecting with people. If you just keep that in mind, even if it's intention is um, kind of a more corporate space or a more professional space, still remember that you're connecting with individuals. Also, I've been playing around with TikTok. I don't see quite the conversions there yet, but there's a lot of attention on that platform, specifically if you have a bit of a younger demographic. There's a lot of uh, space there, and especially if you're already creating video content. So let's say you're already creating YouTube videos and things like that. We'll see how it goes. There's a bit of controversy around TikTok, but if they can get over that, I definitely see that becoming a major player as far as social media platforms go. What about uh, specific formats of content on other platforms that people might already be on? I know there's a lot of buzz about video a couple of years ago, uh, and it, it seems like every year there's some new hot format of content. Are you seeing anything there that's worth you know maybe exploring if you aren't doing it already? Absolutely. So the the thing with video is attention. So the algorithms, the social media platforms, they just want people to spend more time on their platform. So a video does that because we watch it for longer than we would watch or look at a still image. So taking that idea in mind carousel posts, both on Facebook and Instagram work really well because that person is going to swipe through your posts and look at it for longer than the individual images around it. Also, some things that are working right now, both on Facebook and Instagram is saving posts. So especially if you have things like recipes or something that someone can come back to, if you can encourage your audience to save that post for later, Those platforms really like that feature and we're seeing a lot of engagement on those posts that are savable. So yeah, that's kind of what's working right now. And so with those savable posts, is that actually making a ask in the caption for your audience to save it or on your newsletter or wherever else? Or is it creating a certain type of content that is inherently savable? It's both. Um, If you can ask for it, that's great. Sometimes it may not make sense. That's okay too. 
Uh, but even just explaining to your audience how you can save a post can be very helpful. The image looks like a little bookmark and it's both on Facebook and Instagram. And then it goes into a folder called saved and they can go there later and find it again. Um, and so even just explaining to your audience that that's possible could be very helpful to encourage people to save your post. So you, there may be a little bit of education involved there because it is a little bit of a newer feature, uh, but also just creating content that's inherently savable. I like recipes as a good example. It's almost like a little signal to the algorithm, like this is important enough for mm -hmm. someone to go, oh, I want to come back to this later. Awesome. On the flip side of that, is there anything that's overrated that you see people doing that maybe worked a year or two ago, but just isn't getting results anymore? The perfectly styled photography is not working as great. You kind of want to have a little bit of a more natural feel to it, even if you're doing something like a photo shoot or something like that. It's just not converting as highly as some of the other content pieces. In fact, right now on Instagram, something that's so bizarre to me that's working is just black text on a white background. No branding, no nothing. If you want to add branding, make it look like almost like a tweet screenshot. Those are working phenomenally. And as someone who spends a lot of time on design and <laughs> making the post look good, it can feel a little frustrating <laughs> sometimes, um, but simple is better. Um, so I think sometimes if we overcomplicate some of our designs, no matter how much we put into it, sometimes it just may not work as well. So let's say, for example, that somebody has booked a, a social media strategy session with you. They've gone through that. They've got their clear roadmap. And so now they're ready to implement and they're going to be doing that themselves. How long should people stick with the strategy before starting to, you know, experiment if they're not seeing results and say like, okay, well, this clearly isn't working. I need to try something else. Yeah. I want you to give it 90 days, 90 days with a strategy before you start really changing it. Um, you can change it sooner, but you run into the risk of not understanding fully what's working and what's not. And there's a few things you want to look for as you're looking at this. Um, I mentioned before, you want people looking at your profile. So once you start your strategy, you should see profile views go up. And it's something you can see in insights on any platform, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. You should see an increase in profile views every single month. If you're not, then it's not working. Another thing you want to look at as well is activity around that next step that we talked about. So whether it be visiting your website, um, booking a consultation call, typically they're going to click a link somewhere. So you want to take a look at link clicks. If you're not seeing link clicks, something is disconnecting in your messaging or it's just not clear to people how they get to work with you. So there's a few things along the way that you can test to see that's working. But more often, like the thing that I see the most happen as an error in the first 90 days is you're not committed to the plan. You're not committed to the plan. So even if you do something like you're posting and you did outreach maybe just like once that week, it's not going to work. You have to do it regularly, spend 15 to 20 minutes a day, and I almost guarantee that you'll see results. Social media can be a fantastic way to gain exposure to new people and bring them back to your core content. But it isn't the only way. For me, podcast guesting is the single best method to increase your exposure and spread your message, and it's totally doable yourself. When done right, guesting on other shows allows you to get in front of hundreds or even thousands of your ideal clients and then pull them back to your content. I put together a free mini course to help you understand how to target the right shows for you and make pitches that actually get you booked. To sign up for the course, 
just head over to betterwellness.biz slash podcast guesting to get the first video in your inbox today. We've talked a lot about the ins and outs of social media on this episode. But before we wrapped up, I wanted to know what was currently working for Andrea in her business when it came to growing her audience and winning new clients. Partnerships have been absolutely key. You know this because we partner on a few mm-hmm. projects together. Um, so for me, it's it's establishing and maintaining relationships with key partners. Um, it's it's invaluable to have that. Um, and then also, it's almost underrated, but delivering an amazing service, like a really good experience for your clients because they will refer you more business. So I'm at the point now in my business where I don't have to do outreach. Business just comes in because clients will refer business to you. And so for me, those have been key in growing and driving my business on the agency side. Um, But I also do a lot of um, training and coaching and consulting, and I have a bit of a soft spot for it. So just showing up like this and speaking to new audiences and sharing my perspective on social media, specifically the mindfulness side of it, um, has also been great for growing that side of my business as well. So um, one of the the final questions here, I kind of like to say that this is a show that's really about building a better world disguised as a show about building a better business. So uh, in line with the the name of the podcast, I'm curious when you hear the phrase building better, what comes to mind for you? Quality over quantity. And I think sometimes we get stuck in the, the scale word, like more, more, more. But I think sometimes the better business is the quality of it all. And I actually had a recent conversation with um, my coach about this in this idea of scaling and how sometimes I think scaling can be just getting better at what's in front of you instead of adding in new clients and adding in new customers and that sort of thing. And so to me, a better business is definitely, you know, working on improving the quality of what you deliver, um, not necessarily just going after more. Social media is something that I've never really been able to get my head around. And to be honest, for my business, it never really felt necessary. Now, however, as I'm looking to grow my audience beyond my small group of clients to be able to help more people build better businesses, I'm starting to feel like it's something I need to develop a strategy around. This episode with Andrea really helped clarify the role of social media in my overall marketing strategy and where I should be focusing my attention. You can find her on Instagram and pretty much everywhere else online at OnlineDrea. That's online, D-R-E-A. And be sure to check out her fantastic podcast, The Savvy Social Podcast, as well. To continue the conversation, I'd love to hear about your relationship with social media. Is it something you love that feels additive to your life and your business? Is it something you avoid? and engage with only because you feel you have to? Or is it maybe something else entirely? You can head over to betterwellness.biz slash voice to leave me a voice message, and I'd love to feature your response on an upcoming episode. In the next episode, I'll be talking with Tyson Franklin about one of my favorite topics in the world, systems. Yep, nerd alert. Tyson is a podiatrist who's opened, sold, relocated, and taken over more than 20 podiatry clinics in his career. And as you can imagine, solid systems have been a key part of his success. Over the past two years, I've gone through my own journey with systems, and as a result, my business has been utterly transformed. I really can't wait to share this conversation with you and hopefully give you some ideas about how you can put systems to work in your business. As always, thank you so much for spending this time with me. I'll talk to you real soon, and until then, 
keep building better. 